Well, for wherever you are and whenever it is that you're listening, Sunday, Monday, morning, afternoon, evening, consider this your happy Easter Sunday. Because whether we like it or not, Sunday, April 12th is Easter 2020. And we might prefer this Easter be a little bit different than it is. And we may be realizing just how much we took for granted the normal Easter's of years past. But nevertheless, this is where we are. Due to the threat of COVID-19, we can't gather physically at the church the way we normally would. We can't see all the friends and family that we'd like. We may have a harder time finding the motivation or the ingredients to cook a big Easter lunch or dinner. But guess what? The tomb is still empty. Christ is still risen. We still have reason to rejoice. The world as we know it may have come to a screeching halt over the past month, but God is still God. And by faith in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on this weekend, roughly some 2,000 years ago, we are still God's people. Now, last week on Palm Sunday, we read about Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus was in complete control of the entire situation, down to the very donkey he rode in on. Jesus was fully aware of what he was getting himself into that week ahead in Jerusalem. But even though Jesus got a royal welcome coming into the city, cloaks and palm branches thrown on the road and praises shouted, he ultimately would not prove to be the king the crowds expected. Rather than ascending a worldly throne, he had come to ascend a rugged cross. And rather than being honored as a conquering king, he would give his life as a ransom for many. Rather than defeating his enemies, his enemies would defeat him. Or at least it looked that way. But then in addition to reading about Palm Sunday, last week we also examined Jesus' first few days in Jerusalem that followed. On Monday, Jesus cursed the fig tree and cleansed the temple. Like that fig tree, the temple was failing to bear fruit. The religious leaders had corrupted it into a market, or even worse, in Jesus' words, a den of robbers, a den of rebels. Now, naturally, the religious leaders did not take kindly to Jesus' stern reaction in the temple. So we see their pushback the next day on Tuesday. The religious leaders repeatedly confronted Jesus on Tuesday. They questioned his authority. They tried to get him in trouble with Caesar by asking about taxes. They tried to stump him with theological trivia. But in the end, Jesus exposed the religious leaders as unfit to lead God's people. He warned his disciples to avoid them, lest they be condemned with them. But the Tuesday event that we focused on the most was Jesus' prediction of his future return. Jesus promised that one day after his resurrection, though we don't know when it will be, he will return in power and glory. And as Christians celebrate Easter 2020, we're still waiting for that day to arrive. We're still longing for Jesus' next 
triumphal entry. And maybe in a time such as this of a global pandemic, maybe we're looking more forward to Jesus's return than we might typically do. And then finally, throughout this past week, we briefly examined what happened in Jerusalem in the rest of the days leading up to Easter Sunday. You can find those videos on YouTube. You can also find them on Facebook. Each one was a short devotional, although each one did get a little bit longer than the day before. So on Wednesday, the religious leaders were plotting about how they might kill Jesus. A woman worshipped Jesus by anointing him with expensive ointment. And Judas sought out the religious leaders in order to betray Jesus. On Monday, Thursday, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples and instituted the Lord's Supper. He announced that God's people's deliverance will now be remembered as the blood he will soon pour out on the cross. Jesus was then arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he didn't even put up a fight. The disciples were scattered, most notably Peter. And Jesus was condemned by the religious leaders in a loaded trial under the cover of night. And then finally, on Good Friday, the Roman ruler Pilate reluctantly sentenced Jesus to death under public pressure. The murderer Barabbas went free. Jesus was crucified, taken down, and put into a tomb. Of the week of Easter, the truth is that Saturday may be the most somber day of all. Jesus was dead. The gospel writers are quiet. If the story ended on Good Friday or on that quiet Saturday, it would have been a tragedy. A young, gifted, charismatic Jewish teacher got a little too big for his britches, made some outlandish claims that got him on the bad side of the wrong people, and ultimately got himself unjustly killed. But the story doesn't end on Friday. It doesn't end on Saturday. And thank God for that. That's why today is Easter Sunday. That's why you're listening to this sermon. That's why we still insist on praising and honoring this man some 2,000 years later, even when our worlds have been turned upside down and we've been relegated to our homes. The story continues on Sunday. And so does our worship. So open up to Mark chapter 16, verse 1, where Mark's account of Sunday begins. Again, we encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, especially since we can't be together in the sanctuary. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Father, thank you for this weekend. Even though this is a very different Easter than any of us would have expected or hoped for or planned for, and will probably be a very different Easter than any future Easter that we might live to tell about. Lord, this is still Easter. And again, it's part of the beauty of our faith that the core tenets of our faith, the core foundations of our faith, are not really based in anything that's happening right now, anything that's happened to us. Really, the basis of our faith is something that happened a long, long, long time ago. 
And the basis of our faith, the basis of our salvation, is all revolving around Jesus. His death, his resurrection. And as we'll talk about here in just a few minutes, nothing that we're facing right now changes that. And again, that's part of what makes our faith so beautiful, is that it revolves around something that happened in the past, revolves around someone else rather than us. And that's why we can worship you today the same way we have in Easter's past. And so, Lord, even in these less than ideal circumstances, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you, that it would be beneficial for us, that no matter where we're gathered or who we're gathered with or whether or not we still got dressed, whether or not we're still having a big lunch, whether or not we're still having an Easter egg hunt, regardless of all those things, Lord, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you and that we would be just as moved, just as in awe, just as humbled by the glories of Good Friday, the glories of Easter, as we are in any other year. Again, Lord, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, starting in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Sabbath being Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So three women, one of them being Jesus' own mother, go to the tomb on Sunday morning, and they find it empty. Now maybe they got lost. Perhaps in all the trauma and grief of the past few days, the three women got confused and accidentally went to the wrong tomb. But Mark doesn't let that theory get off the ground. He specifically mentions in chapter 15, verse 47, that the women saw where Jesus was buried. They knew where they were going. They went to the right tomb, and that tomb was empty. And just in case the women did have any doubts of their own about whether or not they went to the right tomb, they quickly receive confirmation that they have come to the right place. An angel announces in no uncertain terms, He has risen. 
he is not here. The angel then tells those women to go spread the news to Jesus' other disciples. But at the end of verse 8, the women don't listen. Instead, they're overcome with awe and fear, and they say nothing to anyone. Now, if you're familiar with the three other gospel accounts of Easter Sunday, this isn't exactly what you expected, is it? Verses 9 through 20 of the Gospel of Mark sound a lot more like the stories in Matthew, Luke, and John. But verses 9 through 20 are often, maybe usually viewed, as a later addition to the Gospel of Mark. They may be bracketed off in your Bible with a little note saying that they aren't found in the original manuscripts. But if Mark really did end the Gospel at verse 8, and verses 9 through 20 were added later, What could possibly have been his motivation for ending the gospel the way he did? With the women not listening. With them saying nothing to anyone. Was Mark a pioneer of the cinematic cliffhanger? Or was he simply trying to end his gospel on a note of shock and wonder that would be relevant to the resurrection? But we'll talk more about that issue In our closing prayer. But for the past three months that we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, we have seen numerous examples of the fast paced, bare bones, key information only style in which Mark writes. And that may be more evident here than anywhere else in the entire book. There's no conversation with the risen Jesus next to the tomb where he appears to be a gardener. There's no upper room appearances. There are no disguised Jesus walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus. There's no Thomas examining Jesus' wounds. There's no miraculous catch of fish. And if you take out verses 9 through 20, there's not even a great commission. But Mark does make this much clear in his gospel. He is risen. He is not here. There might not be the same recognition, celebration, fanfare, or joyful reunions that we see in the other Gospels. But that doesn't change the fact that at the end of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is alive. And that makes this Gospel good news. And you know, in a strange sense, this gospel may be particularly appropriate for Easter 2020. A year when our church sits empty. When our celebrations and recognitions are more muted. When all the fanfare of Easter is a little less obvious. Even without all the usual pomp and circumstance, today is still Easter. And Jesus is still risen. But what does the fact that Jesus is risen mean for us? This year and any other year. Well, Jesus' resurrection confirms a number of biblical and theological truths. Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus really is who he and Mark said he is. 
in the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark. The one we read on Sunday, January 12th, which at this point feels like a different era of history. In that very first verse, Mark says without hesitation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And all those miracles that we've read ever since that very first week, Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons, cleansing lepers, making a paralytic walk, restoring a man's withered hand, calming storms, curing diseases, raising the dead, feeding crowds, walking on water, helping deaf people hear, mute people speak, and blind people see. Those miracles were no fluke. And this is no fairy tale. Really, those miracles served as proof that Jesus really was who he said he was, but they all built up to this miracle. The resurrection. The greatest miracle of all. The one that truly, undeniably, definitively proves that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus' resurrection also means that Jesus has done what he said he would do. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if God the Father has raised Jesus the Son from the dead, that tells us that the Father has accepted what the Son has done. The resurrection is the Father's stamp of approval on Jesus' accomplished mission on the cross. Thus, we who have trusted in Jesus the Son as the ransom for our sins have not trusted in vain. He has eternally and sufficiently paid the price for our sins with his broken body and shed blood on that Good Friday cross. And the Easter Sunday resurrection proves that God the Father has accepted that sacrifice. Our ransom really has been paid. Jesus' resurrection also means that Jesus is doing right now what he promised he would do. Jesus said he would ascend to the Father's right hand. He has. And he is interceding for us at this moment. Jesus said he would not leave his disciples as orphans, but would give us his Holy Spirit after he left. He has done that, and he still is. Jesus said he would be with his disciples until the ends of the age, as we go out and make disciples of all nations. He has done that, and he still is. Right now, Jesus is doing everything he said he'd be doing after he rose. We can believe that. We can be confident of that because he did rise. Jesus' resurrection also means that Jesus will do what he said he will do. So far, Jesus has a perfect track record of fulfilling his promises and keeping his word. It's proved true in his suffering, his rejection, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Everything happened the way he said it would. 
Thus, we can be confident that Jesus will do the one big thing he hasn't done yet. If he did everything else so far, if his track record really is perfect up to this point, then we can be confident that the greatest promise that is yet to be fulfilled, that promise will be fulfilled as well. He will return in power and glory. And finally, Jesus' resurrection means that all who believe in him have a resurrection of our own to look forward to. That's part of why we so eagerly await Christ's return. Because in that day, everyone who has believed in him, past, present, future, brothers, sisters, dead or alive, will be given renewed physical bodies, free from sin, Free from temptation, as Christ's body was free from temptation, free from sin, both before and after the resurrection. Death did not have the final say over Jesus, and it will not have the final say over us. He is risen, and one day we will be too. Now, those are just some of the big picture, biblical, theological truths announced and confirmed by Jesus' resurrection. But if we bring things back down to the ground level a little bit, what does the resurrection mean for our practical daily lives? Well, it means a lot of things. Here are just a couple. Jesus' resurrection means that we who believe in him are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit To live differently right now. Jesus' resurrection doesn't just give us something to look forward to in eternity. It gives us motivation and power to live in a way that glorifies him at this moment. Thanks to Jesus' death and resurrection, believers are no longer trapped serving the cruel masters of our own sin. Or even Satan himself. We're no longer caught, blown by the winds of this world that will soon pass away. We have been called and empowered to serve a good and holy and all-powerful master. We are no longer, longer rebels or enemies, bound for condemnation. We are God's servants and God's friends, bound for glory. But even better than just calling God our master... Or even our friend. At this very moment. While we live. We can now call God our father. By faith in Christ's broken body. And shed blood on the cross. We are adopted into God's family. Right now. You can approach God's throne. With confidence and joy. As his sons and his daughters. And if all these things are true. Again, that doesn't just change our future. It changes our lives right now. Every corner of our lives is to be centered around loving and serving our Lord. And this is not some terrible burden. It's not an intimidating responsibility. This is our greatest privilege and our greatest joy. In light of Jesus' resurrection, we can live differently 
because we know what the future holds for us. But Jesus' resurrection doesn't just mean that we live differently. It also means that we die differently. Now, of course, we do still die. We do still mourn when others die. That won't end until Jesus returns, which is yet another reason to look forward to it. But we can also know right now that death does not have the same power over us that it once did. We also know right now that even when we grieve, as the Apostle Paul says, we do not grieve without hope. Believers in Christ don't just live differently. Believers die differently. We die without fear of judgment and condemnation. We die without questions or doubts about what comes next for us, not because we are so sure of ourselves, but because we are so sure of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Every Easter, including this Easter, that if we're being honest, we might look back on in a few years and like to forget. Every Easter we celebrate the same thing, the risen Christ. We celebrate that Jesus has defeated our sin by bearing it on his shoulders on the cross in our place. We celebrate that Jesus has defeated Satan by rescuing and redeeming God's people through pouring out his blood. We celebrate that Jesus has defeated death by tasting it in all of its fullness on Friday, but rising on Sunday. We celebrate these glorious truths every single Easter, in the best of times and in the worst of times, in seasons of health and success, in seasons of sickness and failure, in moments of peace and calm, and moments of chaos and storms. We celebrate Easter because it's all true. Whether it's in times of prosperity, times of persecution, or even times of pandemic. The angel's words at the tomb in the Gospel of Mark are just as true this Easter Sunday as they were on the first Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is not here. And Jesus' resurrection means everything for us in both this life and the next. And nothing that we're enduring now changes any of that. No separation that we have to work through changes any of that. No virus that can strike us and even kill us changes any of that. He is risen. He is not here. Even without all the typical fanfare and celebration and recognition, that is still true. We still have reason to celebrate because he is still risen. He is not here. And so may we celebrate him this year just as much as any other year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Easter. Thank you that the cross and the resurrection 
like we said earlier, is the foundation of our faith. And it keeps us grounded in the midst of the trials, the tribulations, the hardships, even the successes and the joys as well. The cross and the resurrection keep us grounded, keep us firmly planted in our faith in Christ. Regardless of what else is happening around us, regardless of what's happening this Easter, what happened last Easter, or whatever might happen next Easter, if we make it that far. Regardless of what's happening around us, the cross is always the same. The empty tomb is always the same. Christ is still risen. Lord, your promises remain. We are still your people, whether we're together in a church building on Easter Sunday or whether we're apart. We are still saved by your grace. We are still redeemed by Christ's broken body and shed blood. And thus we still have reason to worship you, regardless of what's happening around us. We need to know that every year. We need to know that every day. But maybe it's a particularly important reminder now that no matter what's happening in the world, the cross and the empty tomb are solid. Your future promises are just as solid. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live in light of those promises right now. That the promises of Easter would help us live differently. The promises of Easter would even help us die differently. We know that Christ is risen, and we know that one day we too will rise. And for that, we always have reason to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for Easter. Thank you that you are alive. And thank you that one day you will return. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name.